But this morning I want to talk a little bit differently about church. And uh, I want to break down, if you will, a typical Sunday morning at Center Point. If there is such thing as a typical Sunday morning at Center Point. Um, now I understand that everyone comes to church with a set of expectations. You come expecting something to happen in church. And either that expectation is going to be met or your expectations are going to change if you're going to decide to come back to that church. But people don't continue to come to a church if their expectations aren't met. So I want to talk this morning about church. I want to talk about expectations. I want to talk about why do we come to church? What do you expect to get out of church? And I want to go through and, and basically break down, if you will, our church service. It kind of reminds me when I was going to my engineering classes in college that the first day of every class of the semester, the professor would give us a syllabus. And he would break down the class structure for that semester. And he'd say, okay, you're going to have so many labs, you're going to have so many homework assignments, you're going to have so many tests, you're going to have so much to do, this is how we're going to structure it. And he did that so that he could, he could set expectations, that he knew that the students then could, have, could get on the same page with him and have proper expectations of the class. So today, I want to spend some time about that, talking about what are our expectations about church. So let me ask you right now, first of all, what is church about? When you think of church, shout the answers out to me. What do you want church to be? What is church to you? A place of what? Community. Service to others. Worship. Praise and worship to the Lord. Okay, answered prayers, teaching, inviting, good, authenticity, awesome, nobody likes plastic people, there's a song about that, isn't there, do you know that song, oh, I can't sing it. But there's that song about all plastic people. You come to church and you think everybody's doing just like really good, but all, in, all it really is is a plastic facade. Authenticity. What else is church? Encouragement. Awesome. Fellowship. There's one word that I haven't heard yet that's on my heart. What was it? Talking. Good. It's communication. It's good. The word I'm thinking about is challenge, is one of the things that I like in church. I, I want to be challenged when I come to church. You've said it all. Acceptance, fullness of joy, healing. It's a place of healing, right? Getting our prayers answered. Amen. Church really is intended to be a little slice of heaven if you will, in our busy lives, in the stuff that goes on all around us all day long, that you walk into a dark world seven days, six days a week, and that little bit of time we have on Sunday morning really is intended to be a time of hope, a time of, of healing. Church is a hospital. Church is where people that are hurting come to be healed. Church is a place where people that have no fellowship, that are lonely, come to have fellowship. 
Church is a place that we come and we embrace each other and we accept each other for what each other are. And then we let the Lord be responsible for the changes that has to happen appropriately. Church is a place that we reflect God's love. Like we did today, we receive His love, we reflect it back. Church is a place where we get ourselves off the center point and we put Christ at the center point. So I want to talk this morning a little bit about what that means to us. Now I know that we're busy people and I know that every, every person here, you have the freedom to be here or not to be here. You don't have to come to this church or any church for that matter. It's totally up to you what you do on Sunday mornings. So for the fact that you come here, I really appreciate that. And everybody and the person sitting next to you appreciates that because church, if you were the only one in church, it wouldn't be very much fun. So everybody here likes to have somebody sitting next to them. So turn to your neighbor and say, thanks for being here today. It's nice. And we need to appreciate each other when we come to church. There you go, Bob. That's a good one. Learning how to lean on each other. Wow. Community. Depending on each other. That's really good. That's really good. So the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to move in our services. And that's what we like here. Now, I know that the leadership of any given church isn't responsible for what happens in that church. But I think more importantly, I think what's better said that is that me as a pastor and Jackie as a worship leader, really what's more under our control in a church is what's not done in a church. See, I can't control the Holy Spirit. I can't control the move of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit wants to move, we give him authority, and then we step out of the way and let him move. And the way he moved this morning was a pure, authentic move of the Holy Spirit meeting our needs today. And there's nothing we can do as a person or as a leadership to replicate that or to create that other than we just give him opportunity and we give him presence to let himself be manifest in our life. And we as people, you as people, me as a person were responsible if the Holy Spirit is allowed to move or not to move. Because if we say we're going to go to church today, but we're not going to let the Holy Spirit move, guess what? The Holy Spirit's not going to move. He's not going to force himself on me or you unless we say you have authority. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together... Everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Verse 32 and 33, For the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. God will move through people if we allow him to. God wants to move through you like he did through Angel and Kathleen today. And for all those that prayed for others today, God moved through you because you allowed him to. And that is what church is. Church is designed by God to be interactive. Where have we ever come up with the idea that church is really what we see it today in mainstream denominations? That people come to church sit in their pew, 
and don't really look like they're happy to be there, sing a few songs, maybe give a little bit in the offering, listen to a man ramble on for 45 minutes, and then go home. Where does that, where is that in Scripture? Where is that designed to be that way in Scripture? That's not what the early church was. The early church was much more than what, like what we've had today, where we're, enter, enter, we're entering in, we're getting involved in each other's lives. Like Bob said, we're learning to lean on each other. And we're, when we have a need, we, we say we have a need. And being humble enough to say, I have a need. I have a problem in my life that I can't handle on my own. Would somebody please pray with me? Would somebody please help me? See, if we have a church of authentic people, then we can trust people. We can trust them with our openness. We can trust them with our needs. We can trust them with our vulnerableness. Wow, that's the key to getting in the heart of God is to be vulnerable. God isn't interested in my facade. God's not interested in how tough I am. What he's interested in is how broken I am, how honest I am how humble I am, how I can come before him and say, God, I don't have it figured out. Would you please help me? And would you send somebody along to help me? Would you send my brother or my sister along to pray with me? Because I need your people. That's church. That's the power of Jesus. That's what will attract people. That's what will bring people into. That's when we won't have enough seats in the church. When we can allow this to happen week in and week out, and it spreads in the community that this church meets God, and the God meets in this church, this church will be overflowing with people, not because we want numbers, but because we want the power of God to be manifest in people's lives. We want people to be set free. We want people to be healed. We want people to be saved. We want to add to the numbers of heaven. That's what church is about. Oh, help us, Jesus, to catch it. Help us to understand it. Help us to get this into our soul so that we get to know Jesus and we make him known in our community and people flock to where Jesus is, not to where we are, but to where Jesus is. That's what church is. Oh, thank you, God. You're messing up my notes, Holy Spirit. <laughs> but that's okay. He had a lot better to say than I just did. <laughs> so I think that what I'd like to do the rest of the morning is kind of go untypical here. I want to go through every part of our services. Why do we do what we do? And explain that. I want to set the expectations. We start off with opening remarks. We then move into praise and worship. We then typically go into an opportunity of body ministry. We take an offering. We preach and we teach, and then we wrap up and go home. All right? That's typically what a church service is here at Centerpoint, and probably a lot of other churches as well. But why do we have opening remarks? Well, basically, it's to call people out of the foyer. <laughs> it's to say, it's time to start church. But, in, but more importantly than that, it's to set the tone. Okay? We want to have everything that's said needs to be God-centered. Everything that's said in church needs to be focused on Jesus. If we're going to be God's church, if we're going to be his bride, then everything that happens here has to be God-centered, right? Everything has to be about Jesus. So beginning from the opening remarks, actually, from the beginning from the time you walk in that door in the fellowship hall, understand the presence of the Lord is in this place. But he's also in your heart. So even better yet, bring him with you. 
Come to church prepared to get into praise and worship immediately. Now, I know it's difficult. I know it's hard because you're coming in and you have the stresses of life and you have the anxieties. Maybe you've ridden in the car with your spouse from the home and maybe I'll tell you right now that's when the enemy works significantly is the drive from home to church if your husband or wife's in the car with you I know I've been there and that's not why Chris doesn't write me I just get here earlier than she does on Sunday mornings but I found that driving two cars to church is not a bad idea and if I if she was here she probably would agree with me but see, the devil wants to come in and he wants to upset the apple cart before it ever gets started. So I encourage you as you come into church to be prepared, be somewhat prayed up and, be, and, and have an expectation that we're meeting the King of Kings. The Lord of Lords is in this place and we're coming to have an appointment with him. That's what the opening remarks are about. Kind of, It's a time of encouraging everyone to, to switch gears from the cares of life and the hectic pace of the world. And, 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 and now let's, let's move into an opportunity of praise and worship. And to be most productive, the more prepared you can be personally when you come into church, the more productive church will be for you and for the person sitting next to you. Because you have, none of us have any idea how God wants to work through you for them. You may be the tool. It's not, always, it's not the pastor. Uh, let me tell you one thing real quick. Church is not about the pastor. I want to just say it right now. Let's get that one done. It's not about me. It's not about Jackie. It's about you. All right? And it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. It's a good, encouraging thing. So church is about people. We minister to people. All right. So now after we have the opening remarks, we go into praise and worship. Now, I could probably spend a lot more time than what I have time for this morning to talk about praise and worship, and, and probably we will. I, I would imagine another service down the road, we're probably going to speak just about, just about praise and worship and what it's really supposed to be about. But let me tell you what is in praise and worship. If it's done right, power is in praise and worship. I'm talking about Holy Spirit power. I'm talking about supernatural power. Is in, is in praise and worship. And let, me, let me tell you why I say that. Acts chapter 16, verses 23 and 26 through 26. This is the, an account of Paul and Silas. Now, Paul and Silas were early apostles, as we all know. Paul was a major writer of the New Testament. Silas was, was, a, was a, 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 a disciple or an apostle with, with Paul. In this particular situation, they were severely flogged for preaching the gospel. Let's read this. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right, now let's stop here. Get the picture, okay? Paul and Silas were severely flogged. What does flogged mean? Whipped. Beaten. They were not just had their hands slapped. They were probably tied to a stake. Paul, five times in his lifetime, Paul had lashes of 39 lashes across his back. Three times he was beaten with rods. Twice he was stoned. Paul had a hard life. Paul suffered for the gospel. 
He was beaten up. He was bleeding. He was sore. He was, he was in pain. He was not feeling very good. Paul and Silas, now they're come and they're put in, in prison. And prison isn't the downtown jail where you have um, a nice bed and, and water and you know meals. This was probably a dungeon, probably dark and cold and damp, probably rats. It was not a good place to be. Even if you're feeling good, it's not a good place to be. Now he's thrown in prison. His hands and legs are put in stocks. So he can't move. He can't even position his body to get comfortable. All right? Now it says, let's read on. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. All right, now did you just get the picture here? Paul had just been beaten up, severely flogged, in a lot of pain. The, the, probably what he wanted to do was pass out and just wake up in the morning feeling better. Right? But here it is about midnight. Now, understand, they don't have electric lights. So probably he'd been there probably since 5 or 6 in the afternoon, probably before it got dark. And then it got dark as the day went on. So he's probably been there for hours already. And now midnight, he starts singing and praising the Lord. What are we doing at midnight? We're sleeping. We're in our comfortable beds at home, sleeping. All right. Now, I'm just setting the picture. All right. Because this is what happens when people praise. They had no, Paul had no reason to praise the Lord here. Paul and Silas had no good reason to sing a hymn. Other than inside their heart, they had an attitude of praise and worship. And as they praised and worshipped, what happened? God moved. The earthquake happened. The, the, the doors were set open. The shackles came off. Miraculously, they came off. God moved in power when they praised and they worshipped. Now, what does, it do for, what does that mean for me? What does it mean for you? It means that when we come into praise and worship, understand what's happening here. Understand what you're giving up when you don't enter in. You want God to move in your life? You want God to answer your prayers? You want God to be... God in your life, you want the power of God? Then praise and worship. This is not a time to sit there with your arms crossed and say, oh, I can do it later, because let me ask you, when do you do it later? What better opportunity to praise and worship when other people are praising and worshiping around you? There's power in praise and worship. Now, does that mean that we'll see miracles every time we praise and worship? Probably not. But I'm not going to say we won't. I don't know. But I'm telling you that when you allow your heart to praise and worship him, no matter if you have a miracle or not, your life will be better than it was if you didn't. God will always meet you. He may or may not meet you in the same level of power, but he will always meet you. Praise elevates us into God's presence and his power, as we just read about in that example in that time of trouble. 
Psalms chapter 34, verses 1 through 3 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Author Dr. Dale Robbins said this about, about the presence and power of praising God. He says, this corresponds with Jesus' teaching that his presence will inhabit the gathering of believers who congregate in his name. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. A gathering in his name means that Jesus must be the focus, the center of the assemblage. He must be the one preached about, the one sung about, the one praised and worshipped. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12 says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church I will I sing praise unto thee. Consequently, Christ's presence, along with his virtue and anointing, is manifested in this type of gathering. God's presence comes to the those that praise him. And that's what we're striving to do here at Centerpoint. In our praise and worship, that's what Jackie's trying to do. Jackie's trying and Jill are trying to bring us into this attitude of praise and worship. Trying to bring us into and usher in the presence of God in our hearts and lives. And it's not about how loud you sing or how well you sing. Recognize God's awesomeness is the way he's looking into your heart. And I know that some are more apt to raise hands and move around and dance, and that's awesome and that's good. And I, I know some would rather be more pious, and that's okay too. I, I will be honest with you. I, I will confess to you that I have... I. Uh, I have been guilty in some times in this church trying to create something because I haven't seen people what I thought praising and worshiping. And I'm sorry. I don't mean to do that. I don't mean to put people in a situation where they have to respond like I do. So let me just say I'm sorry. But I will also say that I will encourage you all the time like a good coach to leave it all on the floor. When you're at an opportunity to praise and worship, I don't care how you praise and worship, just praise and worship. Don't leave it. Don't leave the game unless you're exhausted. Don't leave the game until you've loved the Lord with all your heart, mind, body, and soul and strength. Then you will have an opportunity to have the Lord move in your life. Amen. Dr. Robbins also goes on to say, he says, Have you ever noticed when gifts of the Spirit operate in a church service? The power and anointing of the Holy Spirit usually becomes evident subsequent to a time of worship and praise. Now some think that worship is a response after the Holy Spirit moves on them. However, it's the other way around. God's presence responds when we move upon him with worship. Lifting up Jesus Christ through praise and worship invokes the Lord's presence and power to flow in our midst. Did you catch that? Let me read that again because that's important. Some think that worship is a response after the Holy Spirit moves upon them. However, it's the other way around. God's presence responds when we move upon Him with worship. God loves the sacrifice of praise. If I'm waiting for God to give me that inner feeling of emotion, 
that inner feeling of feeling before I'm going to raise my hands or worship the Lord in the way that I'm going to worship the Lord, then I'm going to be waiting for a long time because God's waiting for me to express my sense of gratitude to Him. And I have to do that whether I feel like it or not. So praise and worship enters or invites the presence of the Lord because I'm being vulnerable. I'm taking control. I'm lifting up my thanksgiving to the Lord. Whether I feel like it at that moment in time or not, I'm saying thank you, Jesus, for what you are. I recognize who you are. I recognize you, the God of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I recognize you're on the throne, and I say thank you. Now, when I start doing that, I am now ushering in the presence of the Lord because now he can reply back to me. And he said, you know, thank you for recognizing me, Mike. Thank you for understanding who I am now. Let me tell you a little bit who I am. Let me show you who I am. Let me pour. Let, let's let heaven fall. Because I said that. And so we have responsibility in worship. It's up to us to start it. And then God finishes it. God will move upon us. And he'll move upon us differently from service to service as we keep a consistent praise and worship focus. See, our job is not to tell God what to do. Our job is not to say, God, I want you to move this way in the service today. Just like Paul and Silas weren't praising the Lord, telling him, God, send an earthquake, uh, open the prison doors, and release me. I don't see anything in that scripture where they ever asked God for anything. I don't see where they ever asked to be set free. All I see in that scripture is that they were praising him, singing hymns, and they were leading a worship service in the prison because the other prisoners were listening. And then God said, hey, guys, I got something for you. Kaboom. You're free. And that's the same thing he'll do for us. It's not about me saying, God, all right, now I'm going to praise and worship you. Now you've got to do it the way I'm telling you. You've got to send this manifestation. You've got to do this. And that's where I've been guilty in doing that. And that's where I confess my sin in doing that. And I don't do that. I'm trying not to do that anymore. I'm trying to mind my own business. <laughs> I'm trying to, to do what I've got to do to worship here. And I'm going to let you do what you have to worship out here. But I am asking you to worship. Because I want the power of God to fall in this place. And he'll fall on us when we all worship. And it will be different from week to week. Next week's not going to be the same as this week. Because if it was going to be the same, then Paul would have been released out of every prison he was in miraculously. And I don't see that in Scripture. Paul spent other times in prison and he wasn't released supernaturally. So I can't say that every time we praise and worship that we're going to have miracles. I can't say that because it's not biblical. All I'm saying is that when we do praise and worship, we're releasing the power of God to work any way the Lord, the Lord wants to work that service. Next Sunday is going to be different than this Sunday. And I'm not going to try to replicate it. It's just going to be what it is. And I'm going to say thank you, Jesus, for that. So as I move on from praise and worship again, there's so much more to say, but I can't, I can't really move on. But all I can say is this, and let me finish this part of it is this part with this, and that is that praise and worship time is meant to be corporate and personal. It is a corporate time where we praise and worship, but yet it's only our corporate praise and worship is only as effective as you praise and worship personally. It has to come within each individual. And then corporately it, it lifts up. And, and it's like the chorus of heaven. that All of a sudden multiple angels start singing along with us and boom, all of a sudden we get, a, we get an overflow. And it's awesome. It's awesome. 
All right, then we move into body ministry. And typically, after praise and worship, we move into a time of corporate and personal body ministry. And this is where we invite those to um, give a personal word, um, give uh, an operation of the gift of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean you couldn't do it during praise and worship. I'm, we're not setting boundaries. We're not setting guidelines. We're saying typically what happens is after praise and worship, then we move into a time where we, we allow, we invite people to give a word, to give a, a, a testimony like Riley did today, a thanksgiving for a healings. It's a time that we uh, interact with each other. It's a time that we ask for prayer for those that need a healing. It's a time for those that need financial needs or physical needs or emotional needs or whatever. It's a time where we minister to the body. And it's an appropriate time to do that because we've just been in the presence of God with praise and worship. We've got his attention and he's looking down at us and he's applauding us. He's saying, thank you, folks. Thank you for recognizing me. Now, what can I do for you? What do you need? And then he comes in and he says, wow, let me answer that question. Let me answer that. That's why we encourage you to not to be bold in your asking. It's not, a, it's not good to sit and say, I've got a need, but I'm afraid to say it. Not to say that God doesn't answer your personal needs, and, and he does. But the way that God gets glory is when you publicly confess you have a need. When you publicly say, I have something to pray about, would somebody pray with me? Now, when you've made that need public, now you are giving the Lord an opportunity to get the glory because everybody knows you've been prayed for and you have an opportunity to be healed. You have an opportunity to come back and say, thank you, Jesus. And that's why it's important that we share our needs with one another. Body ministry is a time where we, as a Pentecostal church and as an Assembly of God church, that we fully believe in the, in the gifts of the Spirit, and we want the gifts of the Spirit to be manifested in our service. We, we, we welcome that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It says, now to, each one of the manifest, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. Doesn't, isn't it amazing how much God has got for us? All those are free gifts. And God wants to pour that out on the church. They're all free for our using. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. That's why I said at the very beginning, the church is about people. It's about you. It's about your willingness to be used or not. Because God pours out the gifts as we receive the gifts and will allow ourselves to be used of the gifts. And it's okay if you're nervous about that. It's okay if maybe you're not um, very familiar with some of that. Maybe you haven't given a message in tongues in your life. It's okay. You could be a little bit nervous, but be bold. I'll tell you what, if you make a mistake trying to walk in the presence of the Lord, no one will be angry with you. No one will look at you cross-eyed and say, will you please be quiet? 
I guarantee you that will not happen here. If you are seeking the Lord and if you step out in faith and you think the Lord's got a word that I need to give or maybe a message in tongues or an interpretation, as long as your heart is purely seeking the Lord and you give a word and if you stumble a little bit, it's okay. You don't have to be perfect in that. I'm not. So don't worry about it. If I'm not perfect, you don't have to be perfect. If I was perfect, I'd be different. <laughs> but I'm not. So I don't hold that expectation, and neither does the Lord. He just wants a willing heart and a willing vessel. But then comes the time for prayer. Why do we do this? Why do we ask people to come up front? Well, because we're trying to be biblical. Let me read why we do this. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Is any of you, any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You know, I wish that we really could really read God's word and then just do it. <laughs> I wish I could see that and read that and have enough faith to believe it. Jill, we talked a little bit about last night. You asked a question when you were at the restaurant about how, why are people healed in third world countries and not healed in American churches? Because they're naive enough. And I use that word because Ron has used that word with me before. And I believe, Ron, you was naive enough to believe something, Ron. And that's why you're what you are today. I'm, I, I'm naive enough to believe God's word is true. And people that are in third world countries that aren't, aren't churched out, that aren't, that aren't so filled with gospels that are partial truths, they're naive enough to believe that when Jesus says, I will heal you, that they will receive God's healing. Can it be that simple? Do you really think it can be that simple? I think it can. I think it can be that simple that when we pray and when we say, God, I'm asking you and I'm trusting you for a healing because your word says that I was healed by the stripes that you bore on the cross. If it's just as simple as believing that, then God will heal. Amen. Now, let me clear up a couple things because God will heal the way God wants to heal. All right? Again, Paul is not released out of every prison because he prays and worships. But yet Paul is used in the prison that he's in. All right? I may be in a sickness. I may be in something that I want to get out. And I'm praying and I'm believing for that. And God says, Mike, be patient. I'll heal you but I have something for you to do in the process. I have something for you to do maybe in your sickness. I have something to do. So just be patient. I will heal you. You've asked. My word says I will. I will, I will fulfill my word. I'm going to heal you. But you have to wait a little bit maybe sometimes. Maybe sometimes I've got to, I've got to press in a little bit more through my healing. Maybe God says I've got something else for you that's a little bit better than your healing. 
right now. Will you trust me? Will you, will you just go with me? Will you work with me a little bit? And when I can learn to embrace God that way and trust him and, and let him move in me like that, God will, he will be good on his word. Why wouldn't he be? He promised us God is not a liar. He cannot lie. If God says he's going to heal, he's going to heal. But let him heal in his will the way he wants us to heal. And let's not put him in the box and say, you have to heal me the way I want or it's not a healing. Let God heal. And he will. And that's why we pray. That's why we do what we do because it's biblical. All right. Then we go then into a time of offering. And we take an offering. Now an offering is as much worship as praise and worship is, okay? Because an offering is a time of giving back. And again, there's way too much time. We'll spend another time later talking more about offerings, but we give offerings on a regular basis. And I'll tell you, this is probably the most misunderstood churchdom problem in life because if anybody wants to have a problem with church, they'll say, oh, the church just wants my money. But see, they're not looking at it correctly. Now, the church needs money. There's no question about it. It, it operates like any other business. We have bills to pay. That's perfectly true, perfectly honest to say that. But when we understand what it means to give an offering to God and understand that, that we know who we get our sustenance from and our provision from, then for us to say, God, we're going to give back a little of what you've given us so greatly, then offerings shouldn't be a problem for us. They shouldn't be a problem giving joyfully. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6-11. I want to show that we're biblical. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad the gifts, his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God will meet your every need so that you can continue to give generously. He increases the seed that needs to be replanted. God doesn't just give so that you can go spend it on your desires and your wants. Not to say it's not bad to have good things, because it is good to have good things. Nobody's a problem with that. Nobody's a problem with a new car, a new home. No problem. But God gives us more. He gives us generously so that we can turn around and keep, keep giving. Keep giving. Keep that cycle of giving open. That's the, that's the model of Christianity. That's what God wants. We'll talk about that more another time as well. But that's why we have offerings so that we give you an opportunity to allow the Lord to bless you as you bless the church. It's a cycle. Right? Then we move into the preaching and the teaching aspect of it. And this is the point where most people blank out. <laughs> this is the point where most people take naps, spiritually or physically, I'm not sure. But this is when people say, okay, the preacher's going to speak now for the next 40, 45 minutes, and, and now it's time for me to chill. All right, The, the, the hard work's done. I'm just going to sit back and... And, uh, and listen. But, but let me challenge you here a little bit on this because I, I really want you to hear what's, what I'm saying, please. It's important that we all understand something about sitting under any preacher or any man because 
If that man is not seeking the heart of God, then run. Don't sit under that man. If, if you're here because the man is a really good speaker, but he doesn't preach godly word, if he doesn't preach the Bible, then run as fast as you can because he is fulfilling an end-time prophecy. If you believe that your pastor isn't worth listening to because he doesn't have the heart of God, that doesn't mean your pastor is perfect. It just means your pastor has a heart for God. If you can't believe that, then change churches. Don't sit under that pastor. If you don't believe in the fact that your pastor has taken his role and position seriously in leading the sheep or the flock that God has given him charge over, then don't stay in that church. Because that pastor will be judged severely. That pastor will be judged more than a parishioner. The Bible says that. I don't have the scripture. I should have gotten that. But it does say that those that want to be teachers, woe to that man. That's not a good place to be if you're not going to search God. If you're not going to seek after God, then don't go there because you will not find me as a gentle God if you come into my presence and you haven't taught the Word of God. If you've added to it or subtracted from it, watch out. So if you don't feel that your pastor is that man, then don't stay in that church. So therefore, I say all that to say this, that if you do believe your pastor is seeking the Word, the word of God, then believe that he's got a word for you that day. Then believe that you're here to receive a word from the Lord. Something that he might say, something in his ramblings is for you. And is for you to receive because God doesn't make mistakes and God doesn't, he's not a God of chance and circumstance. He has you here for a particular reason today, to hear a particular word of God today, to receive a particular item from God today. So wake up and receive it. I, I will say that I do spend a considerable amount of time in prayer, and I make every effort to ask God to give me a word for the day. I, I really do, and I'm confident. I'll tell you, I don't mean this in pride and arrogance. I don't. But I will say this. I'm confident that when the Lord gives me a word to speak, on Sunday, I don't come up here with my own ideas. I don't come up here with my own agendas because I can't do this. I'm not that smart of a man, and I'm not a trained preacher. So I am asking God to give me words for today. And I will be confident to say that the topic that he gives me is what God wants me to share. Now, I will also say that I can miss it. And I can miss it in this because the topic is what God wants me to share. But in my delivery, I might screw it up. <laughs> All right? I, I may not get it across to you the way God is trying to get me to say it because I might, I might mess it up. But the topic is what God wants me to speak today, and, he want, it's, and it's what you want, He wants you to hear today. And I take very, very seriously what Paul told Timothy, Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and with careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. 
Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears wants to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And I do my best. And I'll be honest and I'll confess with you that I do my best. There are times that I may slip. There are times when I may mess up. And let me offer this. If I have ever in my flesh offended you, please accept my sincere apology. However, if the word of God spoken through me has offended your flesh, then please take heed of it and so save your life. Let me say that again because that's important. If I have ever in my flesh offended you, please accept my apologies. However, if the word of God spoken through me has offended your flesh, then please take heed of it and so save your life. Because it's the word of God that will save your life, not me. It's the word of God. Sometimes I get in the way of it, and for that I'm sorry. What he gives, I can't take credit for, but in the way I deliver it, I can certainly mess it up. But what he gives, the word that he gives, the instruction that he gives, the revelation that he gives, it, it, it's a revelation. It's not my idea. And so when he gives a revelation, it's to his credit. It's to his glory. And I just do my best not to screw it up as I'm saying it. See, I don't want people to come in here week after week to hear me speak my ideas and my thoughts any more than I want to listen to another man speak his ideas and thoughts. All right? I, I wouldn't come under a preacher. If I just came in and listened to a man speak his own ideas, I wouldn't stay there. I would go find a man that speaks God's words. See, I, I want to hear from God. I want to hear his truths proclaimed through me and through you. Because you can proclaim God's truth to me just as much as I can proclaim it to you. That's why we have opportunities for body ministry. I receive significantly through that, just like you do. I want to be challenged by God's activities. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to convict me in my preaching and those that are under my care. I'm as convicted with the Word of God as you are. I don't preach what I can do. I preach what God's word says, and then I do my best to do it, just like you. I want to be motivated to do only the things that bring glory and honor to Jesus. I want to be educated in godly principles. I want to be accountable for his thoughts and actions in my life. In, the, in Colossians chapter 9, verses 9 through 12, this is, this is the passage of scripture that I've made my personal scripture for my life. And it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that, and I personalize it, asking that I may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen me with all power, according to your glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father. That's what I want. 
That's, if I, I take those scriptures and if I break every one of those down, go back home and do it today or sometime, go back to the scripture, break it down, and let it be a revelation into your life and that how it's a progression of living a godly life through having the knowledge of God's will constantly in our heart. Wow. All right. Preaching and teaching is, in my opinion, not a one-way street. Okay? It's a very interactive time. It should be a very interactive time. Being a good listener is not easy. Listening is hard work. So you know that? Listening is hard work. If you listen lazily, you're not receiving. If you're not listening to grasp the concept, if you're not paying attention, if you're not allowing feedback to come back to the speaker, then you're not being a good listener. Listening is hard work. Listening is not a time just to, just to go to la-la land because your mind will take over your thoughts and before long all you're hearing is la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la and your mind's going someplace else. That's not listening. If you believe the, that God's got a word for you, then you have to actively listen. And it's, you know how you can do that? This is why I wish we were more ethnic. <laughs> Because we as white folk will sit here and just look. And maybe if I know you're listening, I'll see. Or I might hear a little head nod. But you know, I've been downstate enough to be some of those ethnic churches. And you know what? There's some good feedback coming back and forth. I don't mind a good amen every once in a while. Yeah. I don't mind that. I, I mean, that's active listening. Amen, sister. Let's do it. Because what that does is, it's, see, it's productive. Because it's telling the speaker that he's hitting a home run here every once in a while. It's hitting, telling the speaker that maybe he's making sense every once in a while. Every once in a while. I, you know, every once in a while. You know, if a blind squirrel, I'll find a nut every once in a while, too. You know, and, and it also tells other people in the congregation that maybe somebody else is getting it. Yes, yeah, somebody else is awake. Thank you. That, that when you hear an amen, you think, oh, what did he just say? What was so good? What did I just miss? And it makes you stay awake because maybe you don't want to miss the next amen. And it also gives glory to God and lets God know that we're paying attention. And it may be enough to keep your spouse awake sitting next to you too. In conclusion, which are the, probably the best word every person hears in a sermon. When you hear the preacher say, in conclusion, wow, it's almost over. Just hang in there. It's almost over. I'm concluding. But you know, I've heard a really good preacher conclude a long time. How many times do you hear preachers say, in conclusion, and he says it five or six times? All right, now, the, the end of the service, though, is probably one of the most important times of the service. And I'll tell you why. Because this is where the enemy really wants to come in and disrupt. He does not want you to remember one thing you've heard. Yes. Amen. It is true. He, he doesn't care what you hear during the church service. 
But he just doesn't want you to take it out. He doesn't care if you swing from the chandeliers during the church service. He doesn't care how emotional you get. He doesn't care. He just doesn't want you to take it through the day. He wants you to leave it right here. And that's where the end of the service is so important because now the preacher, and he starts to come and he says, okay, now let's look for an application of what we've just heard. And this is where the enemy comes in and he wants to distract and destroy and to do away with every good thing that happened through that service. And I've heard it said, and I believe this, that, that to be a really good, effective, godly, effective preacher, that you need to spend considering in your planning as much time for the end of the service as you do for the body of your service. You need to spend time. You need to give God opportunity at the end of the service to minister to what has been put into the hearts of people through that service. And I know in our, in our society today, that's not very popular. We don't like altar calls. We don't really like a drawn-out end of a service. When the preacher says it's time to go home, let's go home. We're all ADD enough to say it's time to go. All right, shut it down, let's go. Time to go home, time to eat, I'm hungry. And I know I'm real late today, by the way. I'm 20 minutes late. I'm sorry for that, but I had to keep going because this is what church is about. And I, you know I never do this, all right? Have I ever gone this late before? No, all right, I haven't. And I won't anymore, I promise. I promise. I will do my best because I don't want to do this because I don't like to go late, but this is important. The message of what God is bringing to people at the end of the service is really important because this is where the devil is aggressively and constantly wanting to get the last word. Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 19, in the message translation it says it this way. This is a story, the parable of the, um, of the uh, ground, the hard soil and the, so- the good soils. And it says, study this story of the farmer planting seed. When anyone hears news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface And so the evil one, the devil, comes along and plucks it right out of the person's heart. This is the seed the farmer scatters on the road. If you want to be a Christian, if you truly want to be a God-seeking Christian, you need to protect the word of God that's placed in you. You need to cover it over with good soil. You need to prevent the enemy from coming, plucking it away from you because he wants to, because he wants to destroy you. The enemy is not your friend, and he wants to steal from you. Every good thing that God has placed in your heart, the devil wants to steal. He wants to pluck it away, and he wants to get the last word. And the enemy's last word is that you're a loser. God's last word is, you're my redeemed. You're my child. I've given my son for you. My last word is, I have eternity all in store for you. So as we come in, Jack, you can start playing now because we are concluding. But when the call to action is given, we don't always give altar calls here, but I do want to make sure that you know that I don't want any Sunday to go by because I don't know where you're at spiritually. You can be, in a, you can be a regular attender of this church, and from the outside, you look like a really good Christian person. But on the inside, you may have some blackness. You may have some evil. You may have some areas where you have to get before the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry. You see, and I don't ever want to stop anybody from doing that. 
I don't want to be guilty of ever rushing through something because I sense ADHD in people that I'm just saying time to close up and go home because somebody might need to say, Jesus, I need your help today. And I don't know what's going to happen the rest of that day. I don't know if that's their last opportunity. And I don't want to be the man left holding the hot potato in that spiritual man's life. So when we say the altars are open, we mean it. The altars are open. If you need to get right with the Lord at the end of a service, get right with the Lord at the end of the service. Don't leave this place the same way that you came in. If you come in with some heaviness in your heart, leave it at the altar. If you come in with some sin in your life, leave it at the altar. We can all leave better than we came myself included. We all can leave better than we came. So, at the end of the service, it's a hard time, quite honestly. It's a struggle. Because I don't know exactly how to end every service. I don't know how to end this service. So we'll just keep rambling. No. No. It's just that when the Holy Spirit moves, mm, When the Holy Spirit moves, it's humbling. You think I like to cry in front of people? Do you think this makes me feel like a man? When the Holy Spirit moves, I listen, I see heaven. <laughs> I see heaven. And I see Jesus saying, Mike, well done, thou good and faithful, when I allow him to move in my life. And when I say a stoic, I'm going to be prideful and I'm going to not do this. And I see regret. And I see bad things. And I'm naive enough to want good things in my life. I'm naive enough to say, God, I'm going to take you seriously here. So as we close services, even if I stumble, please know the message is good news. The message is will you accept Jesus and will you allow him to grow more in your life? Will you seek him? Will you allow Jesus to be the center point of your life? That's what it's all about, folks. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Oh, God, I thank you so much for the opportunity I have on this earth to do what you want me to do. I thank you, God. I thank you, Jesus. Lord, and I just pray that you would continually um, challenge us, continually bring your word into our lives. Lord, help us to have a discerning spirit to see what's of you and what's not of you. Lord, I thank you for every one of these people in this church. I thank you for their heart. I thank you for their attentiveness. I thank you, Lord, the way they're digging in, that they want Jesus. And Lord, we just want to be Jesus in this community. So this morning, let me ask you right now, if there's any here this morning that just wants to get a closer walk with Jesus, the altars are open. The altars are open. We're going to sing the song that Jackie has playing. And if you want to pray, come pray. If you want to go home, you're free to go home. It's okay. I know we've been here a long time, and I know the Lord's in your heart and your life. But I just want to always make sure that you're open to that invitation. Amen. Jackie, let's sing this song, and we'll just end with a word of prayer afterwards in Jesus' name. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look for
Father, I just thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for that encouragement because, Lord, that's the secret right there. If I want to defeat the enemy in my heart and my life, then all I have to do is keep my eyes on you. The more I keep my eyes on you, Jesus, the more of earth will grow strangely dim. The more of my desires of earthly things will just fade away because I'm focusing on you. And I pray, God, that we would take that with us today. Let that be the last word today, Jesus. Enemy, you have no last words here. You're defeated, devil. In the name of Jesus, I defeat you by the blood of Christ. I stand in God's word and say, you're defeated here. And so the last word is a good word. And that is that we focus on Jesus and we turn our eyes on Jesus. We ask this now. Go with us, Father, to our homes today. Bring us back tonight, Lord, weather permitting, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus.